Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language, writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, to quote-unquote celebrate tax day in the United States, we'll talk about slang words for money. And then, because many of the major world religions will be celebrating real holidays or holy days soon, I'll answer some common questions about religious words. April 15th is almost here, and for listeners in most of the world, it'll be just another day. But for those of us in the U.S., April 15th is Tax Day. So today we're going to talk about the various words we use for taxes and money. There are a lot of them. They say that the only certainties in life are death and taxes. And although taxation hasn't been around as long as death, it does have quite a history. In ancient Greece, there were taxes on consumption. In other words, you paid a tax on the things you bought. In ancient Rome, there were consumption taxes, as well as import taxes, real estate taxes, and head taxes. A tax you pay for having a head. In other words, for existing. And well before that, in ancient Egypt, taxes were levied even before money existed, back when all transactions were a form of barter. The governors of the time simply walked among the people's fields, assessed their crops and livestock, and demanded a portion of it in taxes. The same thing happened in medieval times. Those images we have of the sheriff of Nottingham and Prince John demanding money from peasants? That was a brutish form of tax collection. In fact, the earliest record we have of the English word tax is from this era, around the 1300s. The word comes from the Latin taxere, meaning to charge or valuate. Over time, it became tasser in Old French, tassare in Italian, and tassar in Spanish. By the way, in the department of not all words that sound the same have the same roots, please note that the tax part of words like taxidermy come from a totally different root, the Greek word taxis. It means to arrange. In the case of taxidermy, it's paired with the Greek word for skin. Thus, taxidermy means arranging skin. So that's pretty accurate. Now, let's talk about money. There are literally hundreds of slang words for money. Everything from obsolete terms like pelf, which came from an Anglo-French word for booty, to contemporary words like cheddar and cheese. There's even blue cheese, which refers to the broken blue strip along the center of the U.S. $100 bill. Then there are words that refer to the color of dollar bills in the U.S., like greenbacks, kale, and cabbage. The word greenback is used generally now, but it had a more specific meaning during the U.S. Civil War. It referred to the $432 million in paper money that was issued by the U.S. government at the time. They used that money to finance the Union cause. The only problem? The paper bills weren't backed by gold or silver, and the Confederate government responded by printing its own money, $1.5 billion worth. The result was wild inflation in both the North and the South. For example, the price of a 200-pound bag of salt jumped from $0.65 to $60 in the first two years of the war. There are also words that seem to equate money with flour products, dough, and bread. Bread first showed up as a word for money in the 1950s. Dough was used much earlier. The first documented instance was in a Dictionary of Americanisms published in 1848. 
We don't know exactly why dough and bread came to be slang words for money. It may be because bread has long been considered essential to life, and money is kind of essential too, but we don't know that for sure. There are also just really random words that mean money. The same 1848 dictionary that first listed dough also gave us tin, kelter, dimes, shin plaster, and rocks. There's moolah, which appeared in the 1930s, but no one knows why. There's simoleons, which appeared in the 1890s and also has no known origin. Other mystery words include clams, lolly, and scratch. About that word scratch, a 1915 dictionary of criminal slang lists scratch as a word used for money by, quote, literate criminals. These well-read thieves were also said to use the terms stiff and reader to mean any piece of paper, not just money. Apparently, they were referring to how unpliable paper is. By the way, other categories of criminals in this book include pickpockets, yeggs, free lovers, genteel grafters, and prison habitués. I think I sense a future podcast in those words. Finally, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the rich vocabulary about money that's come from rap music. Over the last 40 years, hip-hop artists have given us words like fetty, bands, dead presidents, and racks, especially in the sense of having racks on racks of money. There's the word luci, which comes from the word lucre, meaning monetary gain, which in turn comes from the Latin word lucrum, meaning profit. And there's ducats, from the Italian word decat, referring to Venetian gold coins, which in turn comes from the Latin ducatus, meaning leadership. And we've all heard make it rain, a reference to showering others in bills as a gesture of wealth and largesse. We could talk for hours about more words that mean money, but you get the idea. There are a lot of them. And whatever you call your money, if you live in the U.S., I hope you get some of it back on tax day. Good luck. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. Next, Christians, Jews, and Muslims will all be celebrating religious holidays in the coming weeks, so it seems like a good time to answer questions about religious words. One of the most common questions people ask about religious words is whether to capitalize the word God. The name or title of any specific deity is capitalized, just like any other name. So when God is used to refer to the one God, in other words, in any monotheistic religion, it's capitalized. For example, you'd capitalize God in these sentences. Some Christians give thanks to God before every meal. Dear God, please let my team win tonight. When referring to gods in general, though, or when using the word God descriptively, keep it lowercase, like in these sentences. The Romans believed a god named Jupiter ruled the heavens. The Greek gods were always causing trouble for humans. The same rule holds true for Yahweh, Allah, Zeus, and the names of gods in other religions. They're capitalized. An interesting side note about the names of gods is that it's Jewish tradition to avoid writing the name of God, because doing so creates a chance that the name could be treated disrespectfully. For this reason, in Jewish documents, you may see the name written as G-D. 
That's a simplistic explanation of Jewish religious philosophy and rules. It's not the whole story. But at least now, if you see G-D, you'll have an inkling of an idea of why it's written that way. Hillary from Las Vegas wanted to know if she should capitalize words like godly and godsend. Well, godly and other words that start with God are almost always lowercase. Occasionally, religious publications choose to capitalize words that start with God, but a wide variety of style guides I found that address the issue in some way recommend using lowercase for words such as godless, godliness, godly, godsend, godfather, and godmother. So God is capitalized in you were sent by God, but godsend is lowercase in you are a godsend. Stacy from Boise, Idaho, wanted to know whether she should capitalize the pronouns he, his, and him when they refer to God. I've certainly heard the rule that pronouns referring to a deity should be capitalized, but most of the style guides I checked, including some with a religious bent, recommend using lowercase. And note that some versions of the Bible, including the King James Version and the New International Version, use lowercase pronouns to refer to God. Ultimately, it's a style choice, and some religious publications do capitalize the pronouns, but the most common style seems to be to keep them lowercase. Jessica from Las Vegas asked whether she should capitalize the word atheist. The names of religions and their followers are capitalized. So you capitalize the words Christianity and Christians, Buddhism and Buddhists, Hinduism and Hindus, and so on. The followers of Islam are called Muslims, and again, both words are capitalized. On the other hand, words that describe people who don't follow a religion, such as atheist or agnostic, are not capitalized. They aren't names as much as they're descriptions of a philosophy. The names of religious books, such as the Bible, Talmud, and Quran, are also capitalized, unless they're being used generically. For example, when you're referring to the Christian Bible, Bible is capitalized. But if you're calling something your grammar Bible, then you're using Bible generically, and it should be lowercase. The names of religious books brings up another interesting question. Why is Quran spelled different ways? Translating Arab words to English is difficult because the languages use different alphabets, and there are no set rules to correlate the Arabic letters to the Latin letters we use in English. When we see Arabic words written in English, they're actually not a translation, but a transliteration, a representation of how the Arabic words would sound if they were written in the Latin alphabet. So you'll see Quran spelled a few different ways in English publications, including K-O-R-A-N, Q-U-R-A-N, and Q-U-R-apostrophe-A-N. There isn't a right or wrong way. It's a style choice. Check your style guide and see if it has a recommendation, or choose your own preferred spelling and be consistent. Translating from Hebrew has the same problem, which is why there are many acceptable spellings for Hanukkah. Jimmy asked how to properly use G-Wiz, which turns out to be a question about religious words. Because according to the Oxford English Dictionary, G-Wiz probably comes from G-Willikens, which is a replacement word for the exclamation Jerusalem, or a euphemism for Jesus. It's come to mean exciting or surprising when it's used as an adjective. G-Wiz, grammar girl, who knew there was so much to say about this topic? The most common spelling today is G-E-E-W-H-I-Z, 
but since it's slang, there's some disagreement over the spelling. And some dictionaries also show it as G-E-W-H-I-Z-Z. It arose in America in the late 1800s. Back then, it was also spelled G-E-E-W-I-Z and G-E-E-W-H-I-T-Z, which is closer to G-Willikens. It only takes a hyphen when it's used as an adjective. I brought out the G-Wiz dictionaries for that question, with G-Wiz hyphenated. Words like G-Wiz aren't new. Zounds is a cleaned-up way of saying God's wounds that people started using way back in the 1500s. And in the 1600s, people started saying gadzooks, which Merriam-Webster says could be a euphemism for God's hooks, referring to the nails on the cross. And finally, I was at the American Copy Editor Society meeting a couple of weeks ago, where editor Paula Froke revealed the latest updates to the AP Stylebook, and one update was about religion. The church commonly known as the Mormon Church has asked to be referred to as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and the AP has updated that entry in the Stylebook. The church updated its own style guide in August of 2018 to say please avoid using the abbreviation LDS or the nickname Mormons. The church still has the word Mormon in some of its online domain names, but Paula noted that one cue the editors looked at to be sure the change was going to stick is that the church had also changed the name of its famous choir to be simply the Tabernacle Choir. So I hope that answers a lot of questions you might have about religious words. And to finish up, I have a familect story from Steve. Hi, this is Steve in New York. In our family, when my kids were grade school age, uh, there was one time where my kids were just in an argument that just would not stop, just kept going on and on. My wife, being very you know, tired and flustered, was just fed up. So she made the kids go and get the dictionary and open it up and look and see what the last word was. And in that dictionary, the last word was zygote. So it's since then it's become code in our family. If you know people are arguing and things are going on and anybody wants it to stop, they just yell zygote, and that that ends the argument. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Steve. I love that your family has a word to just end an argument, and I love even more that it comes from the last word in your family dictionary. If you'd like to share your familect story, the story about a word that your family and only your family uses. You can leave a voicemail at 833214GIRL. That's 833214GIRL, and you might hear it on the show. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl, an author of seven books, including the New York Times bestseller, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. And thanks to my audio producer, Nathan Sams. This show is part of the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network, and you can find articles that go with each episode at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening.